Welcome to the teaching ministry of Calvary Chapel, South London. You can visit us at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org. You know, our hope is that having been exposed to the gospel, having been aware of the gospel, that she truly would have found peace in Christ through the glorious grace of the gospel. Because there's no other basis upon which she would find peace. It's not because she's a great singer. It's not because she, you know, sing, has sung gospel. And, um, you know, her, her comeback single was uh, a God-oriented tune. Um, all of those things are encouraging. But we know ultimately it's through Christ who is gracious to us all as we come to him in faith. And so... We do pray for the family, pray for her daughter in particular, um, for those who have survived her and for her wider family. And, um, you know, it, it caused me to think we're doing a series called Female Vocals in the Life of the Church. And um, just considering Whitney Houston was known for her vocal ability above all things. She was known for her vocal ability. In fact, that last stanza of I will always love you has been the undoing of many, many auditions <laughs> because they just can't manage it. They should have just left it alone. But they try to go there and yet she delivered it so effortlessly with such ease. And one of the things she was known for was her range, I mean, that's a high note, but also her power, the power with which she delivered it, and yet the great control. And um, it really kind of resonated with me as I began to consider how that relates to where we're at in the text, and the fact that we're talking about female vocals in the life of the church. And it's helpful for us to think about those three things, range, power and control because as we consider the, the, the contribution of the female voice to the life of the church we see clearly that scripture in many ways communicates how those three things relate to that experience and so We're going to be going from 1 Corinthians 11. I'm going to um, make my last highlight there, um, which really is a very key factor. And then we'll give some consideration um, in a wider sense still. So let's pray and consider the word. Lord, we do come before you this morning with grateful hearts. Um, Grateful for your mercy and your grace. Grateful for the fact that even though, Lord, none of us are good enough to come to you, you reached out to us in the person of your son. 
so that we could have eternal life. Not based on ourselves and our good works. Not even hindered by the, the, the vast extent of our sin and our bad works, Lord. But recognizing that Christ is the satisfactory mediator, go-between, the bridge between us and you. And so, Lord, we do, um, even now, just remember Whitney's family, her daughter, daughter, the rest of the wider family, Lord, and um, pray, Lord, that above all things, comfort at this time would be found in the truth of the glorious gospel. And that even for those who appreciated her career and her music, that in some way, Lord, people would be drawn to you. That people would be drawn to you. No one is promised tomorrow. We could have been greeted by the news this morning that I had died or any one of us. And so, Lord, may we recognize that even celebrity doesn't guarantee immortality. But only Christ Jesus does. And as we consider your word today, Lord, and we consider the phenomenal potential that the, the female voice has within the life of the church, our prayer is, Lord, that you would strengthen us and encourage us, especially our ladies, Lord, to be voices for you, Lord, and not merely echoes in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. So we considered previously, um, this is the fourth part in what will be a five-part series. So next week I'm finishing, by the grace of God. <laughs> Famous last words. And um, up to now we've considered the primarily non-verbal communication um, that has been addressed in 1 Corinthians 11, particularly with the way in which both men and particularly women are to honor God in our appearance and actions and underlying attitude. And so the focus has been nonverbal. Today I want to kind of turn attention to the verbal aspect, the vocal, the audible aspect that's referenced in these verses and particularly want to just zone in on verse 5. It says, but every wife who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It is the same as if her head were shaven. Now, the first thing I would highlight here is that even though it seems that the overall tone of that statement is corrective or reproving or rebuking, there is actually something very positive being affirmed and communicated in that verse. And it is this, that a woman is able to pray or prophesy publicly within the context of a worship service. So Paul is not speaking against the woman praying or prophesying. He's speaking against it being done improperly. Now, it's worth us dwelling on this, and this is my intent today, 
to consider the fact that from this verse we see clearly that God has ordained for women to make a vocal contribution to the life of the church. And again, when I say that, I don't merely mean singing. But that Paul is acknowledging and affirming the licensed involvement of women in making vocal contributions to the life of the church. And so he speaks about praying and he speaks about prophesying. And so praying, I guess, will come as no surprise. And we're familiar with what that is quite clearly. Praying is speaking to God. And so ladies are affirmed and encouraged in speaking to God as part of a corporate worship service where we as believers are gathered in the name of the Lord. And leading in that sense of praying. And so today we had an example. As Harriet was here, um, just before the conclusion of the offering, she was able to pour out her heart in prayer to the Lord on our behalf. And we're all able to add our amen without feeling like, hmm, should she be doing that? Hmm, that's a woman speaking publicly. No, I'm not adding my amen to that one, no. Evidently not. Because we appreciate that it is within the vocal range that God has given to women. And so we see that there is a vocal range. There is a vocal range. There is a range within, within which the, the female voice in the life of the church is able to function. We recognize that that range has corresponding power. It is a meaningful and impacting contribution. And I'll talk more about that. It is also one that is to be subject to control. Subject to control. And you know what it is? When a singer lacks control and they try and extend their range, they, it, it don't sound good. Voice starts cracking and <laughs> trying to do things that their voice ain't designed. It's not just it's just not equipped for, and it don't sound right. And so that's where the, there's the necessity to be able to control the delivery in such a way so as to stay within your range and work nicely in a harmonious fashion. Amen. Amen. And so as we see, prayer is something that is clearly within the range. And how we need the prayers of the saints. We can never pray enough. Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. And that's speaking of an attitude of prayer. But it is, it's also a very clear affirmation that when we get together, we should be in prayer. We should be prayerful. And this really kind of um, just reminded me of the way in which back in the day, as Christians growing in grace, I, there, there was often, a, there was a season where basically every time during that season of, of our life, we got together. I mean, we could be getting together to go to the shops before we leave the house. Yeah, let's pray. 
And every minute at the drop of a hat, we were praying. Sometimes to the point it was inconvenient. You know when you're on a deadline and you've got to be somewhere? And men like me are on long prayers. And you feel bad. You, you don't want to look unspiritual. Like start adding your amen and like, mm, yeah, yeah, I've got to go. Yeah. But just the impetus to pray... And at times I wonder if there is a greater sensitivity in the life of ladies when it comes to prayer because of a general greater sensitivity and a greater intuitiveness. And so I know that when my wife prays, whew, I feel like we've touched heaven. Open my eyes like I've just stepped out of the throne room. And so we appreciate and value the contribution that prayer makes to the Christian life. It's essential. It's like prayer is like the air that we breathe. It's that essential inhale, exhale of communion with God. Paul goes on to speak about prophecy. And this now becomes a little less clear. What is the extent of the range with regards to prophecy. What does that really mean? And how is that to work in practice? Many of us will have in mind 1 Timothy 2. And this is what I'm going to deal with next week. But just to kind of give you a heads up. In 1 Timothy 2. We see in verse 12. Paul saying... I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. Rather, she is to remain quiet. So verse 12 there in 1 Timothy 2 says, hold on. A woman teaching or having authority over a man is outside of the woman's vocal range. And yet prophecy is inside the vocal range. It's a part of her range. So let's take a, a, a little time just to explore what exactly is being communicated here with regards to prophecy and it being a verbal contribution to the public life of the church. Now, I would quickly clarify that the issue of prophecy is such that there, there is a lot of debate that goes on as to what does prophecy mean in, in the New Testament sense? What does prophecy mean in the New Testament sense? There's concern that there is a great need for clarity because one of the fundamental truths that we hold to as Christians is that God has spoken in his word. God has spoken through his word, and his word is not able to be added to. So if somebody prophesies, are they supposed to be regarded as a prophet whose prophesying is equal and, and as authoritative as the Bible itself?
And so, in the common understanding of prophecy, somebody comes up to you and says, yes, I feel the Lord is telling me to tell you that you must um, leave your job. And, you know, he's calling you over to Birmingham. And in Birmingham, you will find a promised land. Now, as much as there might be truth in that, for my Birmingham heads in the building, <laughs> that's a major thing to consider and respond to as being the word of the Lord. To say you're going to uproot yourself and move because this person has quote-unquote offered a prophecy which now you have to take as being authoritative. So the need for clarity is important. The need for clarity is important in defining this range. Prophecy. What is it? Prophecy is the declaration of God's word at times with accompanying application. It is the declaration of God's word at times with accompanying application. Many people regard prophecy as foretelling the future. And when they hear the word or see it in scripture, they think it is some predictive powers. Now, we do see that there is an element to that. There is an aspect of prophecy that, that, in, that does involve that. But that is not the primary sense and furthermore, actually has never been the primary sense, even back to the Old Testament. When you think about the Old Testament prophets who were in the office of a prophet. And whilst in that office, they declared the word of God and made predictions of the future. To the extent that if somebody called themselves a prophet and predicted the future and it didn't happen, they were to be stoned because they are a false prophet. Such was the authoritative nature of what they said. And yet still, even in the Old Testament, the primary sense and the primary meaning of prophecy was not predicting the future. It was the declaration of the word. The declaration of the word. And so we see Moses is the first great prophet that God raises up. God raises up Moses. He reveals himself to Moses in a way that he had done with no other man, no other human. The scripture says that Moses saw the face of God. And yet, in meeting with God in that fashion... The focus and the emphasis was on the fact that God gave Moses his word. He gave him the law. Hence Deuteronomy. And that became the basis and foundation of God's revelation of himself to Israel and consequently mankind. So his word, not Moses' experience, but his word became the foundation. All of the prophets that followed 
declared God's word. And they applied it to the different situations that the... So you are a rebellious nation. You have turned your heart from the Lord and gone after idols. What gave them the authority to say that? Deuteronomy, the law. You will have no other God before or beside me. So they were stating the word, that applying it to a specific situation that related to where the people were at, and then they would often declare predictive consequences. On occasions, it was conditional. If you turn to the Lord, like Jonah, he goes to Nineveh. Listen, if you turn from your sin, it will be well with you. If you don't turn from your sin, the Lord's going to wipe you out. They turned from their sin, they were fine. There were other occasions when it was unconditional. Israel, you're going to get taken into captivity. End of story. They were taken into captivity by the Assyrians. They were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. They were taken into captivity. And yet we see that the prediction was a response to the word declared and was given as a consequence to the people's position in relation to God's word. So God's word has always been central to the experience of prophecy. So, when we begin to understand what does it mean in the sense of the New Testament, what does prophecy mean, we recognize that it at its heart is not foretelling the future, but rather, it is telling forth the word of God. It is speaking forth the word of God. There are occasions, as we see with Paul in Acts, as he meets with Agabus, when there may be a predictive element to it. But fundamentally and foundationally, it is first the declaration of God's word. And so we see that prophecy is a declaration of God's word. Now it's interesting because the Greek word prophecy, which sounds very similar to the way that we say it, prophetess, is how it's said, is a word that was used within Greek culture in different ways. It was a word that was used for somebody who was a spokesperson, particularly for one who was a, a speaker on behalf of the gods. But there were also other contexts in which prophecy was used in the Greek culture. So, for example, at, at, at athletic, let me say that again, at athletic events, the person who made the announcement was regarded as one making prophecy. And that helps us to clarify how the Corinthians within that Greek-Roman culture, would have understood and appreciated the word. It also helps us today as we seek to, seek to clarify what is prophecy and what, how does it work. So prophecy is an announcement of scripture with a particular reference to who 
or a situation that it may apply to. We see in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3 that the purpose is to build up, stir up, or cheer up. 1 Corinthians 14 verse 3. To build up, stir up, or cheer up. Now the question may be asked, how does prophecy differ to teaching? Well, one of the ways in which we see prophecy differs to teaching is that prophecy is merely a declaration in the way that somebody might make an announcement. Teaching is an authoritative explanation of meaning. So, at the beginning of this series, I could have simply stood up, read 1 Corinthians 11, 1 to 16. This is what God's word says. Men, don't try and look like women. Women, honor your husbands. Boom, end of story. Would have been a very short series. And you might have looked at the text and thought, well, hmm, I can see that this is God's word. And, hmm, I hear the application that's being made. But how did, we, how, did, how did we get there? Like, what does this actually mean? And then you sit down for the next five weeks studying it, trying to work out exactly what's going on in the text. And so what we as pastors are commissioned to do is to explain the meaning of the text in an authoritative sense. And we'll talk more about that next week. But that is not what prophecy is about. Prophecy is an explanation. It's not a prolonged or sustained elaborating on the text. It is a declaration of the text. It is an announcement of scripture. Often accompanied with some application of it. So for example, someone may announce the fact that in Psalm 1 it says, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. And you know what? It's been impressed in my heart that God really wants us to hear this and consider it today. It's not necessarily pointing anyone out. It's not necessarily... Um, Wanting to make a prediction is simply a declaring of God's word and the fact that actually we need to take note. I'll elaborate some more with regards to clarifying how it works. But consider this. As a principle, prophecy is always subject to scripture. It is less authoritative than scripture. In Ephesians 2 it says that the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. The foundation of the church has been laid. There is now no one who can come and add to scripture. No one whose word would go beyond or trump scripture. In fact... In 1 Corinthians 14, we recognize that all prophecy is supposed to be judged. It's supposed to be judged 
And the means by which we judge prophecy is that it's supposed to be judged by scripture. So in 1 Corinthians 14, from verse 29, it says, Let two or three prophets speak, and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches. For they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. And so we see, communicated the fact that prophecy is able to be shared by all. There is a particular um, reference to women in these verses. Women should keep silent. But hold on a minute. Aren't we looking at chapter 11, the same Paul to the same people in verse 5, affirming women prophesying? So how does that work? Women keep silent, but they can prophesy in chapter 11. Has he changed his mind by the time he's got a few pages down? Undoubtedly not. In verse 29 it says, and context is everything, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said and so here we see the imperative that prophecy ought to be judged so somebody stands up and says you know I really feel like the Lord is just it just wants to encourage us with these verses and then begins to share and says something like well you know the Lord is our healer by his stripes we were healed and so therefore, I just want to encourage you that no Christian should ever be sick. Now, we've heard the word declared, right? But the application, we, like no Christian should ever be sick. So that means my hair's supposed to sprout back in an instant. Like <laughs> glasses get tossed out the window. That's, I mean, we've got to just start with like every aspect, right? And so we're weighing the scripture, we're weighing the prophecy, and we're like, hmm, something about that don't sound right. And so that needs to be communicated, and that needs to be clarified. And that is the purpose, and that is, that is the role of the elders. He says in 29, let two or three prophets speak, but let the others weigh what is said in verse 31 for you can all prophesy so that everyone can prophesy but there are some that weigh 
and verse 34 and 35 clarify that women are not in that authoritative place. It's outside of their vocal range to be the ones that will openly communicate an evaluation of prophecy. It's outside of the vocal range. That's the responsibility of the elders. And again, that will be clarified next week. And so women can prophesy, and everyone, we're all supposed to be Bereans. We're all supposed to judge prophecy. We're all supposed to weigh it. And yet, when it comes to making an evaluative determination, well, you see, I don't really think that was quite on point. I think we need to just commit that one to prayer. Or if it's a direct, you know what? Actually, we do appreciate that there will be a time when no believers, no Christians will be sick. But we've not arrived at that time yet because we still live in this fallen world and we await the glorification of our bodies, incorruptible. And so until that day, let's just continue to thank God for healing as he administers it and also for medication as the doctors administer that. Amen? And we just set the record straight and we move on. And so in terms of communicating an authoritative response to prophecy evaluated, that is the role of the elders. Amen? So, prophecy is to be judged. One of the things we consider with the fact that prophecy is to be judged, the reason it needs to be judged is because people can get it wrong. And this demonstrates to us that New Testament prophecy isn't on a par with Old Testament prophecy. The, the prophecy of the prophets was foundational to the establishing of God's people. The revelation of God and, and the people understanding and responding to that. And there was no negotiation. If they get it wrong, they get stoned. False prophets. We recognize that the way in which God has completed the revelation of himself through the word, prophecy today is subject to that, and no one is given the grace to speak on that level, and so may make misapplication. They may get it wrong. And so, hence the very need to judge prophecy. And the reality is that that should free us. That should um, cause us to be at liberty because we realize that, okay, God has made provision for us. So that, you know, maybe if we don't, we're not understanding the word that we're trying to apply. We're not understanding it clearly and we go off. God's made provision for us to go off without slaying us like Ananias and Sapphira. Also that he has put people in place to provide correction in a way that will provide guidance for us. And so that ought to liberate us. One of the things we also appreciate about New Testament prophecy is that it is not 
to be the basis of church discipline. It is not to be the basis of church discipline. In this sense, if somebody doesn't follow a prophecy, they are not to be regarded as in rebellion to God's word. So somebody comes and says to you, you know, um, in, the, in the word it says that you, you are to, in the Old Testament, take wives unto yourself as Solomon did. And obviously they're misapplying the text, they're misunderstanding the text, they're misquoting the text. And God told me to tell you this. It's okay. And this is, you think it's a joke, this is how cults work. David Koresh, Jim Jones, like, they take the word and they twist it. They take it out of context. They misapply it in order to validate their nefarious schemes. And those same ones would say, listen, if you don't hear the word of the Lord from my lips, you are in error. We will put you out. No. And so it's not to be the basis of church discipline, a prophecy that somebody has given. As elders... We are instructed and committed to teach the faith. The faith being a defined body of teaching. It is doctrine. It is defined and set teaching, which has been handed down to us from the apostles. In Acts 2, it's called the apostles' doctrine. Paul in Galatians talks about my gospel. And if anyone comes with any other gospel... Let them be anathema, cursed. And so there is a definitive gospel. There is a, a definitive body of teaching that has been passed on to us that we as elders are to pass on. And it is on the basis of that defined body of teaching that church discipline issues are to be measured. Not the impressions of an individual's heart. Now, one of the things that some of us may be familiar with when it comes to prophecy is the means by which it's shared, often being a case of, at worst, like just ridiculous hype, a lot of sensationalism. Even to the point of shaking, quaking, and basically just kind of going into a trance-like state or zoning out. And, wow, this person's receiving a word from the Lord. Let us listen. Or, it's, we're used to it being preceded by tongues. So there is an outburst in tongues, followed by, thus says the Lord. None of this is in any way having any relation to what we see being presented in the New Testament as being prophecy. In fact, even the very statement of thus says the Lord is inappropriate and unnecessary. 
One, it's inappropriate because no one can say their prophecy is ultimately the word of the Lord. The most you can say is, you know what, I believe the Lord is saying this. I feel the Lord is saying this. This is really on my heart. That's the most you can say. But you can't say, thus says the Lord, unless you're holding up the Bible and just reading from it. This is the word of the Lord. The Bible is the word of the Lord. So it's inappropriate to say that, and it's also unnecessary. It's unnecessary because you're supposed to be just stating scripture anyway. <coughs> and so, hype and, and hysteria, sensationalism, or bold proclamations of thus says the Lord, do not define something as being prophecy. Be sure of that. So these things help us to understand. Now, the reality is that prophecy happens in the life of the church often, all the time. It happens all the time around here. And as I give you a few more examples, you'll begin to appreciate actually the ways in which it does happen so readily. One of the things we understand is that from a teaching point of view, prophecy is very often a part of the teaching process. And I'm not going to elaborate on all of this too much because I've spoken on it a few times in the past and the teachings are there. Um, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 went through all of that. And also, does God speak today? Two parts. <clears throat> prophecy often happens in conversation. In fact, let me put it like this. There is one way in which many of you have probably engaged in prophesying and you don't even realize it. You know that text prophesying is one of the most often done forms of prophecy today? Now you say, how do you mean text? Can you prophesy by text? How many of you have ever been in a situation when you've been like, ah, oh, you know what, you, 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 somebody's been on your mind and you think, ah, oh, you know, I'm just going to text them a word of encouragement. And you're like, Lord, give me, a, give me some scripture, give me a verse to just send to them and just to en encourage their heart. And you, you know, you might draw for a Psalms or whatever. And you put it in the text and, you know, just thinking of you, praying for you. God bless you. Be encouraged by this verse. And you text it off. You're presenting someone with the word of God as inspired by the spirit applicable to them in that moment. How many times have you heard someone come back and say, boy, you know what? I really needed that verse that you gave me, you know. Often in prayer. We'll be praying for someone and we don't know what their specific needs are. And then there's just a verse that we kind of have a sense that, hmm, it kind of resonates with our hearts and we communicate it. And afterwards they're like, yeah, that was just right on the spot. That really spoke to my situation. Oftentimes it's a case that we're in conversation with someone and there's a situation that we understand to be unfolding. And there's just a verse of scripture that we know needs to, they need to hear this verse in response to their situation. All of these are everyday expressions of prophecy. Valid, legitimate, powerful, 
necessary to the edifying, the exhorting, the consoling of the church. And even within the public worship service, we recognize there is a place for that kind of exchange. Not necessarily the systematic exposition of scripture, but in addition to that, those occasions when, you know what? There's a verse that the Lord's really laid on my heart and just want to share it. And sometimes you will find at the beginning of a service, like when the girls are about to start, one of them will, will share a, a verse of scripture and... It will really just speak and focus our minds. That's an expression of prophecy. And so it doesn't have to be a pointing out specific application, although it can be. It can be just a general declaration of the word that comes to mind in that moment, for that moment, that is able to serve as an encouragement. As, as uplifting, as consoling. And so we see that this is the range and helps to clarify what prophecy is. And I think so often people have much greater expectations of what prophecy is simply because of our experiences rather than an understanding of scripture. People will say, oh, you, you guys don't, you don't have no power, man. Because they don't see us all speaking in tongues and, you know, lining people up to, quote, unquote, prophesy to them. But prophecy is happening all the time. And so we're not to despise these things. And also we're to give place to these things. And so in relation to a worship service, how practically could that be outworked? So, over a hundred people gathered. I mean, Paul in chapter 14 talks about prophesying two or three at a time. So he's, he's saying, look, control. Yes, this is powerful and it is able to have an impact. But let there be control. Two or three people at a time. And it has to be weighed. So we recognize that within the context of a worship service, everyone can't just have the liberty to come and walk up and touch Mike and say, yeah, the Lord says. Even if, they're, even if they're on point, even if they're right, even if it's good. Imagine 50 people just forming a queue because they want to prophesy. And this is the kind of thing that was going on in the Corinthians church. Because everybody wanted status. Recognition to be seen as spiritual. And they were going on out of order. So it had to be regulated. And so one of the means by which we can regulate it and would do within our local church setting is, you know what? We're to know those who labor among us. And so if you're a stranger, you know what? It's best you kind of just... Either just speak to one of the elders afterwards or hold your peace because we don't know you. We don't know you and we don't know from whence you came. We don't know what spirit you are of. 
And so wisdom says, all right, well, let's get to know you. Because we know that there are such things as false prophets. Sometimes false prophets can say the right thing in order to gain your confidence, gain a foot in and an acceptance, at which point they want to start talking some off-key stuff now that they've gained your trust. So we're able to say, okay, look, that, that's, that's not going to make sense. Furthermore, we have a membership. It's easy for us to say, look, you know what? We know our membership. We're able to work with our membership. Our membership are submitted to us as elders in the order presented in the New Testament. And so, praise God, that's a liberty we're able to extend to the membership. Also, in the event of a service, knowing that it's supposed to be two or three, we'd say, look, come and Pastor P, normally you catch him over there on the left. No, Pastor P's an approachable guy, always chilling. And you feel like the Lord stirred something on your heart, just speak to Pastor P. Or if he's not here, speak to Rob or speak to me or speak to Neil or speak to Mark, speak to Bertram. Rather than having a free for all, everyone can just see somebody go up and, yeah, and then all of a sudden. And so these are practical ways in which we're able to facilitate and encourage the public expression of prophecy from amongst the body. Because it is supposed to be body ministry. Paul said, you can all prophesy in chapter 14. It's not just the domain of the elders. <clears throat> and so these are some of the controls. And yet fundamentally we recognize that there is an opportunity for God's power to be expressed through men and women it's within the vocal range where our voices are able to contribute one to another in the glorifying of God in a harmonious way. When we appreciate the extent of our range, when we appreciate the controls that accompany the responsibility of power that is held. Because it can be power for good, but it can also be powerful bad but I want to encourage you particularly ladies not to be passive in this regard because oftentimes you will be sensitive to what the Lord may be wanting to share and you see one of the things that we appreciate is that when it comes to saying well the Lord wanting to share 1 Corinthians 12 makes it clear that Prophecy is a gift of the Spirit. It's granted to whom he wills, when he wills, for the uplifting, the, 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 the betterment of all. And so, don't be passive, ladies. You have a, a part to play. You have a place. Your voice is to be contributed with all of those considerations.
And we trust that as we continue to grow and we continue to understand these things and explore these things further, the Lord is able to do even more wondrous things among us. And evidently, it needs not to be said. Also be very mindful within just personal, relational encounters. The way in which what you're doing is so constructive. From time to time, I'll I'll get a, a text from Mama Shirley. And it's an encouragement to my soul, laced with the word. And it's a blessing. And so don't underestimate the true power and value in that. Whatever the context and the means of expression. And there is yet more within the vocal range of women that we'll explore next week in our final part in the series. There is yet more. And so, be encouraged, ladies. God's purpose and plan doesn't merely await you. It invites you. Contribute your voice. Amen? Let's pray. Dear Lord God and Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the way in which you have designed your body. Yeah, Lord, not even the best gym could have created a body, could produce a body as, as fine as your body. Lord, we recognize that we look at ourselves and we, we're just shabby. But you look at us and you see your son because you've clothed us in his righteousness, having made us your own. And you've ordained and designed that, Lord, we would contribute to one another's lives in mutually beneficial ways to your glory, that your will and your purpose would be fulfilled and carried out. And so, Lord, help us. Help our ladies in particular to be encouraged today. Help them, Lord, I pray, to be stirred up, built up, cheered up in terms of serving you, in terms of expressing your will, through their lives, vocally, in the life of the church, in the public setting. Thank you, Lord, for today. In Jesus' name, amen.